we're going to talk about uh, relationships, primarily marital, but we're, we're going to offer some tools that will help you in any relationship you're in. And then one day, if you're not in a marriage relationship now, you will be one day, perhaps, hopefully. It's a good thing. Children are fun. Uh, wives and husbands, good together. Um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, my friend Chig told me years and years ago, um, 20 years ago he told me, it was probably 100 years before that that it actually happened. Uh, it's a story about his uncle Farsi. Uh, he lived in the uh, western, uh, the mountains of western North Carolina. And uh, Uncle Farsi had uh, an old one-eyed green-lipped mule that pulled his wagon and helped him do his work and business. So one day, Farsi is going into town to get some provisions. He hitches up uh, Della, the mule, to the wagon. He goes in town, gets his stuff, loads it up. He's coming back down a little dirt road towards a little bridge. There's another guy in town. His name is Ben DeLotter. Old Ben DeLotter. He's mean, nasty, he's low down, high smelling. He is no good to nobody. Percy is uh, driving his wagon and Della down this uh, little dirt road. And he gets to the bridge and Ben jumps out and waves a knife in his face. He says, Ben, give me your money or, or, or first you give me your money or I'll cut you up. So first he reached underneath the seat of the buckboard wagon, pulled out a shotgun and stuck it in Ben's nose. Take that, Ben DeLotter. And then he said to Ben, he said, Ben, you ever kissed a one-eyed, green-lipped old mule? Ben, with a gun up under his nose, says, well, no, but I always wanted to. So imagine if I could ask the women here, ask the women in general society, do you honor and respect your husbands? Their answer is likely to be, no, but I always wanted to. Because who wouldn't want a loving relationship with a husband that daily worked at earning your honor and your respect. And women like to think themselves complicated. You are not. Men like to think women are complicated. It gives us a break when we do things that are stupid. And you're not pleased with us. According to uh, Nancy Lita Moss, good lady, used to uh, have a radio show, probably still does. She's married now, Nancy Lita Moss Waldemir. Um, but she's the one that said that women are pretty simple. There's only two things that they really want. One is to be loved. And in the woman's world, love is experienced through honor and respect. So guys, if you want it from her, you kind of got to give it to her. That's one thing. Love through honor and respect. The other thing is security. Security outlines a number of things. It's not just finances. It's more than that. If you do that, for your wife, the relationship is going to be so much better. There's other things. Now, I want to tell you about um, the good dog and the bad dog. Are you familiar with that? Have you heard the story? In each of us, men and women, there's a good dog and there's a bad dog. The good dog is our spirit man. It's the one that's saved by Christ. It's where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's where Jesus lives. It's Jesus in us. That's the spirit man. The other thing is the flesh. Flesh is not good. It's our flesh. 
It's what we were before we came to Christ. All the flesh cares about is good times, rock and roll, doing bad stuff, hurting people, being evil. You can't talk to the flesh. You can't tell it what to do. If you get angry, the flesh just sees mission success. It's happy when it causes trouble, especially between husbands and wives. Feed the good dog. Starve the bad dog. Historically, that example is a personal thing. In myself, I, I want to feed the good dog. I want to start the bad dog. How do I feed the good dog? Well, I pray. I read the Bible. I work on my relationship with God. I tell people about Jesus when we get I'm out in, in society at grocery stores or, or wherever. We're going to look at that a little bit differently. As I feed my good dog, the bad dog, the flesh is reduced to nothing. That's how I would do it for me. That's how you can do it for you. But if you're married, why not try to feed the good dog in your wife or your husband? We're going to talk about how to do that. Before you come to Christ, you're driving down the street, you're driving the wheel, you're behind the wheel, your flesh is sitting next to you. You're inseparable, you're together, front seat, you're driving along. And whoever is driving determines right or left, go straight, how fast you go and where you go. Flesh wants to go to bad places, do bad things because he's a bad person. You've got a conscience, you want to do good things, but there's no Christ in this because you're not saved yet. So you, you, you do different. You, you trade off. When you come to Christ, the flesh is instantly thrust to the back seat, and he can never come to the front seat again, and he can never determine where you go. Some wag came up with a, a bumper sticker once that said, uh, God is my co-pilot. And somebody that thought they knew better said, if God is your co-pilot, change seats. Two bumper stickers flying around. Yeah. Both of them are wrong. God is neither pilot nor co-pilot. He is the navigator. You're behind the wheel. If you're in England, you'd be over here behind the wheel. He's there, but whatever. Your flesh, you got, Jesus is sitting here. The flesh is in the back seat. And Jesus is telling you where to go. And he's going to say, hey, go up the street here and turn right. In the back seat, the flesh is still screaming. You can still hear him. And he's pounding on the seat. And he's saying, go faster, go here, go there, go there. Go. If Jesus wants to go left, go right. Or go straight. Jesus says to turn left up there. And if I say, well, I might want to go straight. I think it's shorter. You know what Jesus says? Okay. He's not going to make you go his way. He only did what he saw his Father in heaven doing. Scripture. We should only do what we see Jesus doing. Jesus says to turn left. Well, I want to go straight. He's not going to tell you not to. The flesh is still pounding in the back seat. That's life until you die. The flesh is always going to be a burden. Jesus is always going to be your, your navigator. Men, women, it's all the same. In this discussion, we're talking about men being better at their jobs of being a good husband. When the flesh wants to go the wrong way, you want to yell and say, you're a wife. You see your husband going the wrong way and maybe he's hurting your feelings. Maybe he's being disrespectful to you. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Any of those things are bad. You want to yell, but you can't yell at the flesh. 
He can't hear you. Or if he does hear you, he doesn't care. He only cares about making trouble. And when he can make trouble in you, then he's happy. After we get through some scripture, we're going to lay a foundation for this. And we'll come back to how you talk to the flesh when he can't hear you or when he doesn't care. He'll listen. We have Genesis 3, 1 to 7. You could bring that up for us. There we are. The problem that we have in a marital relationship started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 at the fall. That's when sin came into the, uh, the garden and demanded a place in the conversation. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal in the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, as God really said, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. Verse 5. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took some of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. That's key. And he ate. And the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let's talk to Father. Father, we have your word here, and it's good, and we're trying to make sense of it in our lives, and we want to see how we can apply it to us and change our lives and heal in relationships and marriages and whatnot. We're trusting you, Father. Your speaker today is incapable. So we need you to uh, breathe life into this, this time and, and us. Open ears and eyes that they might hear and see. We're trusting you now, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, took away my text, brother. Um, in Genesis uh, that we're reading here, there's some things that Satan said to the snake. Some things that Eve said. Did God really say? Well, yeah. And Eve had even been to a Bible study or two. She was in a small group, just she and Adam. And um, she knew enough to know what they could do. Well, they could eat, the, eat from the fruit, and it was lovely, and it was good and all, but that one tree they couldn't eat from. God didn't say they can't touch it. Frankly, I think most of us, our first trip would have been to Home Depot to buy a saw and cut the tree down. If we really cared about protecting our wives. Gentlemen, no matter what the danger, your first responsibility is to stand between your wife and that danger. I don't care what the danger is, some fool at 2 o'clock in the morning breaking in your house, or worse. I don't care if it costs your life. You're to be between danger and your wife. The danger here is that snake, is that Satan. He's stealing from your wife. Adam just sat there. He said nothing. 
he deserted his wife when she needed him most. There is no excuse. Shame on him. And shame on us, because we do the same thing. Or touch it, no, you will not die. Well, that was a lie. But you see, Satan's a legalist. And in talking with Eve, he got her to say, and not to touch it. And he asked questions that she couldn't answer. That opened doors for him to do more. No, you will not die. Yes, you really will, because what God said. You will be like God. Imagine. It's the oldest temptation in the world to this day. People want to be like God. Everybody gets to be God except Jesus. Governments want more power. They want to be like God. So they tell us, we can control the weather. Let us take a little bit of your freedom. Let's do a few more things here. Let's give authority over this, and we'll fix it. Now, I don't believe we can control the weather. I don't believe that we affect the weather. That's me. You may believe otherwise, and you're welcome to. We'll find out the truth one day. But I guarantee you, if the government can sell that, they will take away stuff from us. The woman saw that it was desirable. That wasn't... You remember when, when uh, Jesus was walking on the water and the, the disciples were in the boat and the storm's raging, it's rocking and rolling and it's going to sink and they're afraid and they see this figure walking out in the ocean and they're afraid first, they think it's a ghost and then Jesus calls to them, you know, be afraid, it's just me. Peter says, thank you, Lord. If it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and I'll walk to you. Jesus said, sure, come on. He got out of the boat, Peter's walking along, he's doing fine until he takes his eyes off Christ and he looks at the storm and he becomes afraid. In his world, the storm is bigger than God. The storm is bigger than his faith and he sinks and he almost drowns. Jesus saves him. She's taken her eyes off God. She's tricked herself into thinking you can't even touch that thing. And the eyes of both were opened, and they could see. And they saw that they were naked. Well, they were naked the day before. They were naked an hour before. It was not a problem. Why is it a problem now? It's interesting to note that it wasn't until Adam ate the fruit that their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. They discovered sin after he ate. She had taken a bite already. She saw it was good for her, and she ate it, and she gave it to him. Had he not eaten, this suggests to me that the evil that had, had came from that, the fall, wouldn't have happened. We are one flesh, husbands and wives. In Genesis 3, 8 to 13, if we could see that, there we go. Now they heard the sound of the Lord, they've eaten it and they're ashamed now and they're feeling guilty. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God called the man and he said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound, Adam speaking, I heard the sound of you in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Verse 9, 11. And he said, God, who told you that you were naked? Anytime you get information, check the source. If the source is unreliable, the information is unreliable. Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, well, forget your question, God. The woman you gave me gave me something to eat, and I, and I ate. And then he turned to the woman. Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the servant deceived me, and I ate. Nobody answered God's questions. They all blamed somebody else. You see, they've opened the door for sin, and now sin is demanding a place in the conversation. It wasn't Eve's fault that Adam ate the fruit. He could have said no. It wasn't the snake's fault. It wasn't Satan's fault that Eve ate the fruit. She could have said no. But she didn't. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, noted theologian and Baptist, um, reacts to the first question, where are you? God makes them realize their lost condition. This is implied in the question. Adam was lost, lost to God, lost to holiness, lost to happiness. God himself said, where are you? That was to let Adam know this. I have lost you, Adam. At one time I could speak with you as with a friend, but I cannot do it any longer. You were once my obedient child, but you are not so now. That's the result of sin. Right now, we're sitting here, we're, we're cleansed in the blood of Jesus. We're not, we are God's obedient children. And we can take his hand and won't any, walk any place. And he'll go with us. And if along the way we choose to sin, suddenly he's gone. He hasn't abandoned you but he's not going to be with you while you're in the midst of sin. He's waiting right there. All you have to do is turn and ask him for help, and he'll come right back. This gets us around to the marital relationship in men and women, trust me. In Genesis 3.16, we're talking there about the result of the fall. And there are several things that happen about hard work and, and blood, sweat of your brow and all that. 316, the last one. God is speaking to the woman. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. It's a pride thing. Guy's got to rule over his woman. A woman's desire will be to control her husband. The guy is trying to rule over her. They're both going in the wrong direction. Ephesians, Paul talks about women, a woman should submit to her husband. That's not all he says. Go a couple lines further. Men, or husbands and wives submit one to another. When God created them, he did not create a servant and a woman and a master. No. They have different jobs. She's a helper, a helpmate, suitable. For Adam. Well, that implies that he's suitable for her too.
there's good news in this. Um, let's do Genesis 2, verse 20. This is the point. See, the, the answer to the fall in Genesis 3 is in the text of Genesis 2. If Adam had read it first, maybe they'd been better off. He has given names to all the animals. He's looked at all of them. None of them were suitable for him. God said, we've got to find one for you. Caused a sleep to fall over Adam, and then took his rib, as you know, and he fashioned it into a woman, and now Adam has met this creature that's suitable for him. And he's very excited. Very excited. At last, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. For the reason a man shall leave, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and he shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. We're one flesh. Ladies, you are part of us. We are part of you. We are one person. You can't yell at me and not be yelling at yourself. Jesus is living in here. I am the image of God. The image here is not a photograph on your phone or a picture hanging on a wall. It's, it's a different thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's, it's real. When you're yelling at me, you're yelling at Jesus. I am not Jesus, but that's who you're yelling at because he's in here. Well, I turn against you. You remember Paul? Where he, he wasn't the one that sinned. It was sin that, it, it him, that was in him that sinned. It wasn't he wants to do the right thing. He can't do the right thing. It's his flesh. And we talked about the flesh. The flesh is there. The flesh is the enemy. That's who you want to yell at. How do you do that? How do you yell at somebody you can't see and doesn't want to listen to you anyway? Ladies, what men have given you is an enormous gift. Primarily husbands and wives, but it kind of bleeds out. It carries over to your wife. Guys. You have given the authority to speak life and death on them. In Proverbs 18, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. Speak life over your husband. You want him to be a good man, to show you honor and respect. This is a good dog, bad dog thing. Historically, the, the story was, you know, I feed myself the good man and the dog, bad dog dies. Well, maybe you could feed the good dog. How do you do that? He was just dismissive to you. He was just rude to you. In public. He did bad things, whatever it was. Now, you want to yell at the bad dog. You've been to a Bible study. You know the bad dog. The, the flesh is the one that really did that. You can't yell at him, so you yell at your husband. Here's how, here's how you yell at your husband. You're better than that. I have seen you. I have seen compassion in you. And kindness. And sensitivity. I have seen it. You were kind to a lady in the grocery store who had just lost her father. You didn't know her from a load of wood, but you showed her kindness. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. It's in us. Come to Christ. It's there. You want to restore your relationship. You want to feed the good dog, starve the bad dog, and scream at the flesh. Not this time. You do not win this time. You speak to your husband. You're better than that. You can do this. You can show me the same compassion you show. You can do this. When you do that, he is lifted up. The flesh is borne down. He sees nothing but mission failure. God does not tell your husbands that they have to earn your honor and respect. He just tells you to do it. Is that fair? Nothing's fair. Life isn't fair. There's no fairness. In God's dictionary, success is being persecuted and praying for the people who persecute you. So don't turn to God and say, not fair. It won't work. Most of us men would rather be passive observers of life rather than participants. We'll kick back and take it easy. We'll work, we'll do whatever, but the last thing we want to do is talk about problems. In truth, we're better students of an example than to be given a, a lecture to, to memorize. The Bible says that the wayward husband will be won to Christ by the godly behavior of his wife. Not the godly words, not the godly screaming, just behavior. It's not easy to be treated badly and have your response be, you're better than that. You're good in Christ. I love you. But that, a kind word takes away wrath. It, it builds him up. We give you that authority. We give you that place to save us. And Christ saved us. But we'll sit through objectionable scenes on TV and never give it a thought. But your wife is saying, I'm not looking at that. It's just regular TV. It's what regular TV is these days. It's hard to take the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, to take the hits and turn to the face of that offense and say, you're better than that. Ladies, it's hard. But it's what God calls you to do. 
You're not in this alone. Men. <laughs> between, you stand between them and danger. You sacrifice your life. You love your wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. You want to be somebody that she can respect? Give her honor and respect. Sacrifice yourself. But when you don't, when you can't, when you're just a guy. Ladies, you're better than that. I've seen you with compassion. Okay, we close with this. Uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss married Robert Baltimore. Nancy Lee DeMoss to Baltimore. She gave her listeners on the radio show what she called a 30 or 40 day challenge. Find a way, find an event, find something to encourage your husband once a day, every day, for 30 days. If you're thinking, he doesn't deserve it. No. <laughs> you're right. He doesn't deserve it. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve Christ's death, but we got it because that's the way it works. Christ is our example. He's your example. Ladies, just as much as mine. Men, we're to give our lives for you. God doesn't ask you to give your life for us. But <laughs> you've just insulted me, but you're better than that. Okay, that's the, that's the tool today. We're talking about feeding the, the good dog, not the bad dog. You can feed yourself and you can be fed by others. Ladies, you can feed us. You can do that. 30 days, find a way to compliment your husband, to encourage him in something he's done, and see. This is Nancy Lee DeMoss telling me, this is not me telling you. This is not me, this is not some guy talking to you. It's, it's another lady who was, you know, she counseled married women on marital relationships for years and years. She herself was unmarried till the age of 57. She met Robert and they got married, and I'm sure it's good today. Try that once a day. 30 days. October's coming up. Now, I know, you know, you're thinking, well, I'm going to say something nice, and he's going to think, well, you're just saying that because the preacher told you to. Yeah, he might think that. But you forget your authority, ladies, if you don't realize that he will say, well, you, I'll take it anyway. I'll take a compliment. Sam Clemens, Mark Twain, said, I can live for two weeks on a good compliment. Husbands can live for weeks and weeks and weeks on a good God. You're going to see a change in your marriage, a change in your household. You have children, same thing. Change for them too. Because the stronger the good dog, the weaker the flesh, the better the relationship. Let's talk to Father. Father, we're, uh, we're trusting you now. We're trusting that, uh, that you have a plan and, and you're doing good things with us and, and you're planting these seeds in our hearts and I pray the soil is fertile and I, I pray for the grace to go out from here and just say you're better than that. 
You're good in Christ. You have compassion. I've seen it. I want it too. And I know you can do it. Be an encourager. You are the perfect, ladies, the perfect helper. And we need help. Father, we're trusting that you've done a miracle here today in some lives. And you found fertile soil to plant these seeds. We're trusting you now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.